0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, grab your study guides, renovations, and uh, I forgot to say this in the first service. Can you just write your name in the front cover of that? because every week people forget them here and we don't have any idea whose they are. So if you could write your name in the front cover just so that we know that that's yours. Uh, We are kicking this off. We're gonna be here for the next eight weeks. We've called the series Renovations Being transformed to be like Jesus. Being transformed to be like Jesus. That is the journey that we are on for those of us who are followers of Jesus. That there was a time or there was a season, there was a point in our lives where we said we are going to follow after Jesus. We are going to honor him as Lord. We're gonna receive the forgiveness that he offers. We're gonna trust him for our salvation. And so that is the day we get saved But after that, there is a little more that needs to happen there. Not in order to save us. You're saved the day you say yes to Jesus. But the journey we are on now is to be transformed to become more like Jesus. And so different streams of the church call this different things. Where I grew up, this was called sanctification. We are in a process of sanctification. We've received our salvation. We are in process of sanctification. One day we will receive our glorification when we see Jesus face to face. But sanctification is the process of being made more holy, of getting the sin out of your lives, of of producing good character, of of becoming more like him. Uh, Some streams call it discipleship, and the Mennonites have typically called it that. How are we actually Following after Jesus how are we actually imitating him? How are we becoming more like him in our life and in our actions? But what I have been studying at school uh, has been this whole process being transformed to be like Jesus And there we call it spiritual formation. And that's what we're going to call it throughout this series. And it all means the same thing. Sanctification, discipleship, spiritual formation is all talking about the same process of becoming more like Jesus. But there's a specific reason why I like the term spiritual formation, and I will unpack that as we go. Uh, A number of years ago, I was sitting on the couch just watching TV, and I noticed a weird sort of flutter in my heart. And something just felt a bit weird, and I'm, I am fine. Just uh, fast forward to the end of the story. I'm not telling you I'm dying this morning. But there was a weird sort of flutter, and when I would take my pulse, it would kind of—it skip a beat. like It would feel like a beat was missing. And I went, alright, this isn't happening because I'm in love with Sarah, although I am. Uh, so I need to get this checked out. And so I went to the doctor, and they hook you up to a machine. And the machine measures your heartbeat. And so when I went back to see my doctor, she said, OK, there, there is a minor heart palpitation happening. Uh, Nothing to worry about and lots of people get them and sometimes it can be because we've eaten something You know or you've had caffeine or you've had sugar and it could throw your heart off a bit Sometimes it can be other things But she said I just want to dig in a bit and see if there's anything else we can learn in your body about what might be causing it And so they did some blood work which led to some more blood work which led to some more blood work And what ended up coming up is she said your vitamin D is alarmingly low in your body Your vitamin D level is very low and that's throwing off your magnesium, and that's throwing off something else, and so your body chemistry is kind of out of whack. But she says, I think if we were able to get your vitamin D back up to normal, then the other levels will come back up to normal, that might make the palpitations go away. And that's exactly what happened. So you can take a supplement now uh, that you just get over the counter of vitamin D, and I know many of you will take that as well. And it brought my levels up, and as the levels came up all across the board, uh, the heart palpitations went away, and so everything is back to normal. So here's what I learned about vitamin D. I didn't know a lot about it other than it existed. And so I wanted to find out more about it because uh, I don't want to take a pill for the rest of my life if I don't have to. And so what can I learn about vitamin D? So I had discussions with my doctor. Uh, I had some discussions with a friend of mine who is a nutritionist and, uh, and then just did some online stuff. And online's never wrong, so that's always a good place to go. But here's what I found that I trust because my doctor confirmed it is that vitamin D uh, is crucial to a healthy body and is crucial to a healthy mind. Uh, Vitamin D, if it's low, can be connected to changes in your mood. You can feel depressed or in a slump. And vitamin D is important, uh, most importantly, for maintaining calcium in your body so that your bones are strong, but it also affects your kidney function and lots of other things. So there's a lot to vitamin D. And so we need to take in a certain amount every day. And there are certain foods that do have vitamin D in it. Fish has a lot of vitamin D in it. There's a few vegetables that have vitamin D in it. Um, Some dairy products have vitamin D in it. But you can't eat enough vitamin D daily. Your body is not able to absorb enough by food alone. So no matter how much fish I eat, I will not be able to take in enough vitamin D that my body needs. But that's okay, because there's a totally free vitamin D source right outside our houses, guys, and it's called the sun. And so the sun gives us our vitamin D, and the sun is, obviously, it's free, and and you don't have to worry about measuring it. Uh, If we get out into the sun, our body will absorb all the vitamin D that we need and so sometimes when we get into kind of the winter funk sometimes people kind of get into the blues a little bit maybe in january Uh, Some of that could be because we just haven't seen sunlight in a while and our vitamin D levels drop And so I know a number of people in the church just in the winter take a vitamin D supplement in the winter time Just because we're not seeing the Sun as much So being in the Sun is the easiest way to get our vitamin D and our skin just absorbs it and and turns the sunlight Into this vitamin in our body and as that happens and you just need like 20 minutes a day 20 minutes of sunlight a day is all the vitamin D you will ever need and so as we are as I'm learning about this stuff, I thought this is like we are literally created for sunlight. Like we are designed to be in the sun. And so when it starts to get at this time of year and we start going, oh, when's summer coming? It's not just because the sun is warm and feels nice and it's better than snow. There is something in us that, that craves the sunlight because our body needs it and our, our mind needs it and our soul needs it. And so as I was learning about this, I go, okay, so I just need to make a, a more intentional effort to get out into the sun. And that can be harder in the wintertime, but I don't know. I was away at school last week, and there was one day last week. I'm not sure what the weather did here, but it had just been kind of gray and cold and wet like for the whole week. And then one day last week, the sun broke through, and there just were no clouds in the sky, and everyone in school was just like, ah, like outside, and everyone just needed to be out there. And there was just like a, oh, there's light, and there's warmth, and and our body is getting the replenishment that it needs. So I tell you that story to say this to me is a good picture of what spiritual formation is really all about. It's a good picture of what it means to be transformed to be like Jesus. Because my body needs vitamin D, and I can't create it myself. I can't eat enough to get it myself. I cannot earn enough vitamin D in my body on my own. I mean, literally, I can now with a pill. But as we're talking about what our body needs, uh, I can't do it on my own. What I can do is get out into the sunlight. I can get out into the presence of the sun. And as I get out into the presence of the sun, the sun will do the work that I need in my body. The sun will bring me everything that I need. The sun will make it happen. I can't make it happen, but I do have a role to play. My job is to get myself into the sunlight. And when we talk about spiritual formation, there's a reason why I like that term best, because... Uh, Sanctification, a lot of people don't know what it means, and it it sounds confusing to some people. Discipleship is a good word, but we can do the things of discipleship and never actually be changed, right? We can do all the stuff, and nothing ever actually transforms us. So spiritual formation, the emphasis is the Holy Spirit is doing the transforming. I can't change myself. I can't change and renew my own mind. I can't give myself a new priority. I can't make myself more like Jesus on my own. I can't do it. So the Spirit, the Lord, by His Spirit, is doing the transforming. My job is to put myself in the Lord's presence. My job is to connect with the one who is doing the forming. And just like me going out into the sun, as I connect with the Lord, as I put myself in his presence, as I invite the Holy Spirit to come, he will do the work. So, it's not my job to become more like Jesus, it's his job to transform me, to make me more like Jesus. But it is my job to make the effort to connect with him. It is my job to move into his presence. And if you want to see a really bad pun, just like in my body, I needed to get into the presence of the sun for my body to be healthy. If I want to grow spiritually, I need to get myself in the presence of the sun. Huh? That's my, yeah, that deserves applause. It does. I need to get myself in the presence of the Lord. I need to get myself, I need to connect myself to the Holy Spirit who does the for me. That's my job. And there's intentionality required. If I'm just going to go through life and not make any effort to connect with them, I shouldn't expect to start to change to become more like Jesus. Um, And on the flip side of that, I can make myself so busy trying to do things and do the right things and do the biblical things that I'm never actually connecting with his presence at all because I'm so busy doing that I'm not being formed there either. So we are wanting to figure out how can we position ourselves in life so that the Holy Spirit can do the work in us to make us more like Jesus, and we're going to take the series to unpack all of that. We are being spiritually formed by the Spirit. And how, or why is he doing that? What is the focus of that? What are we being formed into? Romans 8.29, wow, it jumps around. 8.29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So I'm not starting a debate this morning on predestination, so we're just going to skip that word today. We're going to focus on the second part. We are being conformed, we are being transformed, we are being spiritually formed to the image of his Son. We are wanting to be more like Jesus. There is sin in our life that needs to go. There is bad character in our life that needs to go. There are attitudes that need to go. There are dark things that need to go. There are good things that need to be built up. There is good character that he's wanting to develop. There is a love of God and a love of others that Jesus had perfectly that he's wanting us to walk in more and more. And as this happens, we don't lose our uniqueness. It's not like we all just become a bunch of robots who look like Jesus because he's wired you the way he's wired you. He's created you the way that you are. But the way he created you is not the way you are living your life out entirely because sin and the effects of sin are there. And so what Jesus is wanting to do is to take each of us as we are and say, okay, here is a person that I created in my image. That image has been broken and battered because of sin. How can we restore these people back? to the place that I originally created them to be. You keep all of your uniqueness of how he has wired you, but you will shine with the character and the nature of Jesus Christ in you. Uh, you will look more and more like him who was perfect before God, who had perfect character, who had perfect holiness, who loved God perfectly and obeyed him perfectly, who loved others perfectly and treated them perfectly. And we don't believe we'll hit that perfection in this lifetime, but this is the, the lifelong journey of formation that we are all on. And so what we're really talking about, and this is what we've named the series, is that you're God's Renault project right now. And there was a day when you said yes to Jesus, and the day that you did, you invited him into your house. And as he got there, Jesus looked around and said, all right, some stuff here has to go, and some stuff needs to be revamped, and we need a fresh coat of paint over here. And if you've ever done renos, like my wife's parents flip houses, so when Sarah sees this picture, she goes, this is my childhood right here on the screen. Houses often looked like that, and they would move in, and they would strip it down to the studs, and then they would build it up into something beautiful, and then they would sell it for a profit. And so with renovations, we understand, yeah, there is old junk that needs to get taken out. There is stuff still going on, even though we have said yes to Jesus, even though we have been forgiven, there is stuff in here that needs to go. There is character that needs to be changed. There are attitudes of the mind and the heart that are not good and that are not godly. And there are good things that God wants to build up. There is good character that he's wanting to fine-tuned. There is good character he's wanting to create in us. And so whenever you're doing a reno, renos aren't always necessarily super fun, and they often take a lot longer uh, than we would like. And our spiritual process can feel that way as well. Sometimes you're saying, Jesus, why is this taking forever? Uh, Why is this not moving faster? Why am I not seeing more change? But when we're doing a renovation, we are always keeping our eye on the end goal, right? Because it could be overwhelming just to look at our terrible rundown house and say, like, oh, where do you even start? right? But whenever you're doing a renovation, it's renovated to something beautiful. And that is the work of spiritual formation in our lives as well. We are being renovated to something beautiful. We are being renovated into the best possible version of ourselves that we can be. We are being renovated towards the perfection of Christ. We are being renovated to the glory of God ultimately. Because our lives then become a show-off project. When people would come to our house in Sudbury. Uh, we moved into that house, and that was the house that Sarah's parents moved in. We stripped it basically down and built it up completely, and when people came in and saw the house, they said, wow, you guys did a great job renovating, and I would say, I did nothing at all. I paid for stuff while my father-in-law did amazing things, but it was to their credit, right? It was to their glory, if you want to use that word. Uh, the house showed off their talents. It showed off their skills. It showed off how good they were at this, and that's you and me. That's the journey that we are on. As God renovates, Our lives, he is showing off his glory. He is showing off his goodness. To take someone and say, they used to be here and now they're over here, look how much more like Jesus they've grown in these last few years. That shows off his power and his grace and his work in our lives. And so we're always wanting to keep our eye on what are we being formed into? We are being formed into the image of God. So let's take a look at our text today. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start motoring through this now. 2 Corinthians 3, we're starting in verse 7. The Apostle Paul is writing here. He says, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's lots to unpack here, and we're just going to jump right in. That's not a passage that stands alone very easily. You might have heard me reading that and say, I don't know what most of these things are, and that's okay, because we're going to walk through it and we're going to explain it. But the passage in general is talking about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So the Old Covenant was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, and God showed up in glory, and uh, there was just incredible uh, displays of his wonder, of his power to the point where the people were terrified to witness it, and that was when the law came to God's people. And so Moses comes down with tablets written in stone. He's gone up. He's met with God. God's given him the commandments. And so Moses comes down with this list of commandments. And God says in this list, this is what it means to live a holy life. This is what it means to live a perfect life. If you want to live perfectly before God, you will obey all of these commandments perfectly. And the problem is, is that no one has been able to live those commandments perfectly. We are too sinful. We are too selfish. We cannot live up to that standard. When Jesus comes, and we celebrated it at the communion table today, he comes and initiates a new covenant, a new contract between God and humanity. And it's going to undo the old contract. The old contract was... Here is God's holiness. This is what you must do to be holy and be right with God. We couldn't live up to that. God knew that. We're going to get to that in a second. The new covenant comes, and it's completely different, because the new covenant comes and says, it's not going to be about what you do before God. It's going to be about what Jesus has done for you. And as Jesus has gone to the cross, he has dealt with every sin you will ever commit. And as Jesus has risen from the grave to eternal life, he invites you into eternal life with him. And as Jesus is perfectly righteous, as you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, Jesus says, then I'm going to put my righteousness on you, so you are perfectly righteous in God's eyes now. It's good, right? This is good news rather than constantly trying to live up to a standard that we just fall short of. In the new covenant, these incredible blessings have come to us. Paul is contrasting the two. He's talking about the old covenant that came through Moses versus the new covenant that has come through Jesus. So as he starts, if the ministry that brought death, the old covenant, which I'll come back to in a second, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, temporary, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious?" So when Moses goes up the mountain to meet with the Lord to receive the new covenant, again, the glory cloud covers the top of the mountain. There's thunder, there's fire, and it's so overwhelming that the people of God can't get near it. They are terrified at the glory of God that they are seeing display. And when Moses comes down the mountain, he's shiny somehow. Something of the glory has stuck to him. And as he comes down, he is glowing. He is shining with the glory of God. Uh, And the people of God in Exodus 34 says they were terrified of Moses because his face was just shining with God's glory. And so Paul's saying, okay, so we have the old covenant. which which was the revelation of God, but which never saved anybody. You couldn't come to Jesus through that. You couldn't get right with God through that. The old covenant came with this incredible display of glory to the point where the glory stuck to Moses for a while when he came down the mountain. Even though this temporary, transitory covenant came with this temporary, transitory display of glory. But if that was how glorious the old was, how much better is the new? How much greater is the new covenant that we are walking into? And as the old covenant comes, as the law comes, again, it doesn't come to save us. Because although God says, hey, this is my revelation of holiness, this is my standard, this is what you must do to be right before God, as He comes to display all of that, God knows that we're not going to be able to live up to that. He knows that already. So the law didn't really come to say, obey this perfectly and you'll be saved because no, no, none of us can obey it perfectly. But Paul would write in Romans 3.20, the law doesn't come to save us. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. As the perfect standard of God comes to us, it shows us where we fall short. There's 613 different commandments, laws, and statutes. And I've told you before, you can Google 613 laws and you'll get websites that have a list laid out clearly of what all of the law of God is. And when you start reading that list, you're gonna realize I've broken almost all of them today. But that's the point. The law comes to say, hey, you're a lawbreaker. Because of your selfishness, because of your sin, you have fallen short of the glory of God. You have not lived up to his standards. And scripture says when we break the law of God, the end result ultimately is death. Death and condemnation. And so that's why Paul says the first covenant, the old covenant, brought death. It brought condemnation. Not that it literally did. It was holy, and it was the pure revelation of God. But the consequences of it are that it led to our condemnation and our death because we can't live up to it. And if that's where the story ended, then God is a really, really, really mean God. But that's not where the story ends because there is a new covenant coming that's going to solve the problem of us falling short of the old covenant. Moving on, verse nine. If the ministry, the old covenant that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I've never said glory so much in my life. Right, But if this temporary covenant, which was there really to highlight the sin problem, if that came with this incredible display of glory, how much more glorious is Jesus? How much more glorious is the forgiveness that comes? How much more glorious is the coming of the Holy Spirit? How much more glorious is the ministry that brings us to eternal life? How much more glorious is the age that we are living in? Jesus would say to his disciples, there are generations past who long to see what you guys get to see. And that is even more true of us because we live in this age now where the Spirit has been poured out. There are generations of people of God who would have killed to see what you and I get to see as we get to experience the fullness of the new covenant, the fullness of that glory. The new covenant is better than the old one. Paul would write a few chapters earlier, or a few verses earlier in 2 Corinthians 3, that God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That the Word of God that came on those tablets of stone ultimately condemned us because we couldn't live up to it. Those letters killed us. They, They pointed to our sin, and we couldn't save ourselves. But the Spirit comes to give life. The Lord comes to bring us to life. Uh, We're not trying to follow letters on a stone anymore. We are filled with the Spirit who himself leads us into holiness. And so although we believe in the equal inspiration of Scripture, we value and revere the Old Testament as much as we value and revere the New, we actually don't believe that they're equal exactly in the life of the believer. We actually believe the New Covenant is way better than the Old Covenant. And scripture says that, that the new is better than the old. Scripture says the old has actually become obsolete. It has been surpassed by the new. Scripture says that the blood of Jesus is better than the blood of goats and ox in the Old Testament. His blood speaks a better word. The new covenant is built on better promises in Christ. Every promise of God is yes and amen. The new covenant is so much better than the old. You should be very thankful that we're living in the time that we're living, that we get to experience Jesus, that we get to experience the Holy Spirit, that we're not having to go to the temple over and over again and have animals killed and never being sure where we're at with God because in the new covenant, your establishment with God has already been set and you don't even have to do it. Jesus did it for you. And that's the gift of God and the gift of his grace that he has given to us. Moving on, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we have so much more hope than the Old Testament heroes of the faith even had. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. That, When you read the story in Exodus 34, it says that Moses wore a veil because when he came down the mountain, he was glowing and he was freaking everybody out. And so he put a veil on so that they would stop freaking out. Uh, here, Paul gives us a bit of a different picture, maybe with it, that uh, also the glory was fading over time as, as he came out of the presence of God, and he maybe didn't want them to see that either. But either way, there's this veil involved, which we'll come back to in a second. But, you know, the, the difference between the old and the new is that we have this incredible hope, and it makes us bold. When the Israelites saw and experienced the glory of God at Mount Sinai, They were terrified. And they wanted to back away. like They wanted to run from the presence of God. On the flip side, in the new covenant, we are told, come boldly before the throne of grace. Right? Don't be afraid to come into the presence of God. Because yes, although you are still sinners, you have been made righteous in him. Your sins have been forgiven. So you can come boldly before the throne of God. We are bolder than the people of the Old Testament were because God has shown himself in this way. And as the Holy Spirit has come, uh, Ephesians 1.13 says that the Holy Spirit has sealed us, it ha- he has marked us, he has stamped us as belonging to God. And in the old days, when you wrote a letter, I would write a letter to Pastor Xavier, and if I'm sending the letter, he needs to know that it's really from me and not an imposter, maybe, and he needs to know that uh, someone else didn't come along and change the letter. And so uh, I would write a letter, I would put some wax, I would fold it together, uh, and then I would stamp it with my seal, which would usually be my family crest or something like that. And so when Xavier gets the letter, Xavier says, I know this is real. I know this belongs to Chris. I know this is from him because that's his seal. And scripture says that's what the Holy Spirit is for us. We have been sealed. We have been marked. The day you said yes to Jesus, the day that you understood and decided to follow after him, you got marked with the Holy Spirit that marks to all creation that you belong to Jesus Christ. You're His. And so when sometimes people say, well, how do I know if I'm going to heaven or not? This is how. Can you have assurance of your salvation? You absolutely can. It's the Holy Spirit. Scripture says the Holy Spirit is the deposit. He is the guarantee of what is to come. The Holy Spirit is our taste of heaven that we get to experience here on earth temporarily. We get to just get a taste of it. One day we will get to experience the fullness of it. But the Holy Spirit comes to bring us to life and to lead us into life. Verse 14 says, but their minds were made dull. These are the unbelieving people. Unbelievers' minds were made dull For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses, the law, the Old Covenant is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so there is this picture that uh, for those who don't know the Lord, it's like they're wearing a veil. It's like they can't see. And and they can't. If someone in your life doesn't know the Lord yet, you can't get mad at them. The veil hasn't been taken away yet. And that's something that the Lord does. And so that really should dramatically change the way that we're praying about this stuff. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man or the woman without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to them. They can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You cannot know who Jesus is until the Holy Spirit reveals him to you. You cannot understand the Bible until the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You cannot know the things of God until the Holy Spirit does that work. So that's where we're praying for our loved ones. It's not going to be if I get just the right argument or if I get just the right words or if I badger them enough, they're finally going to come to Jesus. Like all of that might be something that God uses, maybe, but the Holy Spirit has to bring the revelation. I got saved at 18 years old. I'd grown up in church my whole life. I was at church every Sunday. I'd grown up in Sunday school and came up through junior highs and everything. My parents read us the Bible every day. We had devotions at home. Uh, Jesus meant nothing really to me. I I believed he was there probably, but I just had no interest in him whatsoever. And then one night, August 16th, 1999, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And for the first time in my life, Jesus is real. For the first time in my life, I believe. For the first time in my life, it makes sense. That was a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And and we would say, and parents who prayed a lot, that the Holy Spirit would make that happen. That's our main avenue when we want someone to come to know the Lord, is that Holy Spirit, you have to show them. And he may use you. He may use your arguments. He may use your scriptures. Absolutely. I'm not saying don't do that. But our emphasis is here. Because the Holy Spirit has to come and make that real. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is a Trinity verse. Sometimes, why do we believe in Father, Son, Spirit? This is one of those verses. The Lord is the Spirit. The Spirit is the Lord. We believe in Father, Son, and Spirit, all equally God. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's his job, is to bring you to greater freedom. His job is to set you free, and in the context of the passage, it is setting you free from the law, setting you free from the condemnation, setting you free from the death that came when we couldn't live up to the Old Covenant. He comes to set you free from all of that, but Scripture has other parts. He's setting us free from more than that, too. He's setting us free from our past. He's setting us free from shame. He's setting us free from specific sins. He is bringing us ever-increasing into the freedom of God. And that's not freedom to sin. That's not freedom to do whatever I want. But it is the freedom to live fully into the life of God. He doesn't come to bring condemnation. He comes to set us free from that. He doesn't come to bring us into legalism. He comes to set us free from that. He comes to set us free to true holiness, to true character, to true victory in Jesus. And so we've said this year at Meadowbrook, we've called it 2020 is a year of next levels. We're wanting to go deeper, we're wanting to go further. And so one question for you to ponder from this message is, in 2020, where do I want more freedom in my life? Maybe it's a specific sin where you're going, this is the year. I need to, to see freedom from this. Maybe it's a, a pattern or a habit in your life. Maybe it's an area of character that needs to soften. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's, it's shame. Maybe it's, it's you've fallen into a bit of a backslidden place. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit comes to bring you to freedom. He comes to bring us to freedom. And so if we're encountering teaching that brings us into condemnation or brings us into a heavier burden, then we should rightly question whether that is, in fact, the Holy Spirit leading us. Because he comes to set us free. He comes to bring us into the fullness of the freedom of the life of God. Almost done. Verse 18. We all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit. And that's just a great spiritual formation verse. Uh, Our faces are unveiled. We're not terrified of the glory of God. We can actually run into the presence of God with excitement, trusting that as we do that, He is going to transform us. Notice the tense of this passage. We are being transformed. He is doing the work. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And that's great as well. Moses' glory faded away over time. That's not our problem. Our glory, the the rate's just picking up. God's work in our life is just picking up. The glory is ever-increasing, and it all comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of the Son. That is spiritual formation. And we will talk through the series about how we do that. But just like I need to get into the sunlight to keep my vitamin D levels healthy, I need to get into the spirit in order for that formation to happen. In order to get everything that I need from God, I need to connect with him. And we'll talk how we do that as we go. Second Corinthians 5.17, a well-known verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone The new has come. Now that happened the day you said yes to Jesus. On that day, you became forgiven. On that day, you became righteous. On that day, you became born again. But we know in just the reality that not every part of our life is fully there yet. So spiritual formation is the process of our lives fully living up to the promise of this verse. Being transformed so that we are fully seeing the newness that God wants to work in all of us. Come on up, worship team. We are just about done. So when you said yes to Jesus, whether you realize it or not, you signed up for a renovation project. You are God's reno. He is working on you. And the day that Jesus made his home with you, he moved into the home and said, oh, we're going to redo some stuff in here. We all have character that needs to go. We all have sin that needs to go. We all have habits that need to go. We all have dark places in our heart and dark places in our mind that need to go And there is good that he is wanting to build. There is good character. There is good fruit. There is good attitudes. There are good mindsets. He is wanting to work all of this out in us. And in this series, we will be exploring that. How does the renovation work happen? What is our role in it? And and how can we put ourselves in the presence of the Son of God so that the Holy Spirit can transform us and make us more like him? As I mentioned, we call 2020 a year of next levels here at Meadowbrook Church. We just set that as a theme for the year. We are wanting to go deeper. We are wanting to go further. We are wanting to take things to the next step, to the next level. And so everything we're doing is getting framed within that. And we've challenged you to be looking at that in three specific areas. To look at how am I going to the next level upwardly and inwardly and outwardly. Upwardly is our relationship with the Lord. So in your relationship with the Lord, as you ponder this message, Uh, Where are you connecting with him? Where are you putting yourself in his presence? Where are you being formed? Where, if you look at your walk with Jesus five years ago, where can you see the evidence of how you've been transformed? And how has he done that? Because part of understanding how he's doing his work in our lives is also looking at, well, what's he done in the past? And how have I grown through this, that, and the other? Inwardly has to do with us taking a good look at ourselves in the mirror and saying, okay, well, what needs to be formed inside of me? Where do I recognize the sin? Where do I recognize the bad character? Where do I recognize the the past that I'm carrying with me? Where do I recognize where my emotions are a bit out of whack? And and where can I start to give some attention to those things? So think about that as well. What needs forming in your life? And then outwardly, and we're going to take a couple of weeks just to talk about this, uh, how are other people going to play into your journey of spiritual formation? Because you can't do it on your own. And when Jesus moved into your house and started reno's, he invited some other people who are going to be contractors who are going to work with him on your character and he's going to move through them. And some of that's going to be wonderful blessing and some of that's going to be really difficult, challenging times. But other people are going to play a crucial role in you becoming who he has called you to be. So reflect on that. Today's just a bit of an overview, but reflect on uh, going to the next level as we think about spiritual formation. What does that look like for you upwardly? What does it look like for you inwardly? What does it look like for you outwardly? And I'm excited to jump into this with you. I've been sitting on this one for a few years. Uh, We just wanted to make sure the timing was right. And as a staff, we feel that the timing is right to jump into this right now. So I'm excited to jump into the journey with you. Grab your study guides there at the hub on your way out if you didn't get one. We're going to just close in worship and prayer. So would you stand to your feet with me, please? And we will sing together and we will pray.